As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome to another episode of your next favorite movie. I'm your host, Josh G. And today I have a, eh, I'm probably returning for the sixth time, I think. Please welcome back to the show, Anthony Brownlee. Hey, hey, what's going on? Ah, not too much on my side. How you been lately? Oh, you know, shoot, keeping that horror spirit going, man. (laughs) That that is true, and we're going to keep that going today. But before we get into the movie... Last time we talked, we were able to just barely give any details about the documentary you were working on by the name of Fred Heads. Mm-hmm. But now it is out, it is released, it is on streaming. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what Fred Heads is about? Fred Heads is all about the fandom of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, so we've already had you know documentaries in the past that dealt with you know, the actors and, you know, directors and the behind the scenes and, you know, things like that uh, for the actual movies. But we knew it's like the fandom that kept the movies alive. So, it's, you know, so we wanted to get in touch with as many fans as we could for this, not just in the States, but overseas. So people would send us videos and they would just tell us their stories because um, we all have stories. You know, it's a lot of us became friends because we were, you know, fans of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And, we just wanted to hear how it affected everyone else's lives, you know, from the first time they saw it up till, you know, now, you know, for a lot of people, it's been, you know, 20, 30, you know, years later, you know, so it's all about that fandom, you know, not just Nightmare, but kind of like the horror community as a whole and what that particular community has done for everyone. And obviously you're one of the main five that is sitting around the table but what is your official title with this documentary uh executive producer okay that's part i wasn't sure of because just so i don't know what order these are going to come out or anything like that yet but we will also be having Paige and kim who are the co-directors on this thing all right so and i think it's important you you mentioned the fandom because i saw when i did my review on letterboxd i saw a lot of people Saying, oh, I didn't learn anything new about the franchise. And I'm like, mm, you kind of missed the point. It's not what it's about. It's not <laughs> right? It's not about the franchise. Itself. Look, you're not going to beat Never Sleep Again. Let's be honest. Yeah, that, yeah. about, yeah. That was an epic. An yes. epic, you know, documentary on the actual films itself. Right, exactly. So this one kind of reminded me of, if you if you're a Monster Squad fan, Wolfman's got Nards because that's also a lot about the fandom mm-hmm. of the movie and not the the movie itself. So just know that going in. So tell everybody how they can get this or how they can watch it. Um, Fred Heads is available as physical media, a DVD on Amazon. It's on Prime Video and is now recently on Tubi. Hey. And if you need a free option, Tubi is the way to go, and you're still helping support because boy, Tubi has everything. Absolutely, Absolutely. <laughs> it's like to me, Tubi's like this generation's like Monster Vision and like USA Up All Night, like so many old school 
you know, stuff on there. Yeah, that that's a good correlation. I like that. So we haven't talked about this in a while. Where are you at in the because you're also an author. Where are you at on the latest book? What's the latest book news? Uh, well, I finished my 10th novel last year, uh, Fear of Silence, the huge epic that took five years. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, and I think last time we talked, you were in the process of getting a cover made. Yes, that cover is officially done. Um, shout out to Connor uh, out there in uh, Ireland, actually. Wow. Uh, did it for me. Yeah, we met on Twitter and he, you know, I does commission drawings and I just had this in mind and, you know, he decked it out for me exactly the way I wanted it. So that part of it is done. The only challenging part now is trying to get that bad boy published because it is so long and books that are long like that have a, unless you were like an established well-known name author, you have a tough time getting those particular books published What I've been learning so far. <laughs> so it's been a challenge. Uh, so as of now, it's still not published. I'm still working on it. Um, but I promise you, I will get that book out somehow. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> working on my 11th book now, it's called uh, the 35th anniversary of Nightmare at Midnight, which is basically a book about so it's actually a drama about a horror movie that I created. Um, so it's not a real horror movie, but it, it kind of dealt with me and my journey at the convention. So I've been, you know, doing conventions for almost 14 years. Uh, I'm sorry, 17 years. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. And, you know, when I first started, you know, conventions were very underground. You really had to be a horror fan to know about them. And you know, you wanted to know all about, you know, the as many actors as you could, but some names hadn't been dropped in so many years. You know, you ask, well, where's this person ever been? And it's like, well, since they did that movie back in 86, you know, nobody's really heard from them. And, you know, as time went on, I mean, now they're getting people like Sandy Johnson, who was, you know, played Judith Myers. You know, that was her main <laughs> thing that she's ever done. And it's like nobody would ever think, even she didn't think at first that, you know, people wanted her autograph because she was in the movie for a short amount of time so it's basically showing like how movies basically become this entity all of its own and just how much it's loved and how you know the actors that did them you know so many years ago don't realize and how that progressed over the years so that's what this new book is about so I think a lot of fans can you know really appreciate that yeah, that is definitely a story you hear a lot about these people who are like, well, I didn't think anybody would want to talk to me. I was in a movie for five minutes, but those people end up with the biggest lines because they're not <laughs> out there that right. often. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And I and and horror is special in that way. You don't see these this type of stuff for other genres. I mean, sci-fi. Sci-fi has their own as well, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. And I think I think romantic movies are starting to get that. I think there's like Hallmark conventions and stuff nowadays, though. There actually is. Me and my, me and Jeremy were actually going to go to one one time, but not not for the Hallmark aspect, but because <laughs> there was like a few people who have been in like some of the stuff we loved back in the nineties, like Are You Afraid of the Dark and things like oh, that. And we yes. were like had our Are You Afraid of the Dark posters ready to go. I'm sure we we didn't actually end up making it. Um, to that, which was kind of a bummer, but I guarantee we would have been the only ones there <laughs> with our <laughs> 90s snicks, you know, 
are you afraid of the dark posters? <laughs> yeah, but that's always the cool thing when you're getting the stuff that no one else is getting signed, right? Right. I'm sure they would have been like surprised, like looking at this, like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I was actually, really? <laughs> yeah, I was just talking to some friends, and uh, Vanessa Shaw's coming to Dragon Con. Looks like they're doing a Hocus Pocus reunion. Oh, nice. And I'm like, it'd be hard for me not to get something Hocus Pocus signed, but I kind of want to take something Ladybugs and have her sign it because no one's going to bring bring in that. And I loved Ladybugs as a kid. Oh, I love that movie. That was so, Rodney Dangerfield, man. That movie was amazing. I love exactly. that movie. And she's <laughs> in so that, fun. so. Right. That's so fun. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's the other reason I wish Jonathan Brandis was still here, man. That would have been like yeah. amazing. He was like still one of my like favorite actors. Yeah, I'm one of those weird people that still actually like never in the story part two. So I love that movie. Like, oh, really? It gets a lot yeah. of hate out there. So, really? I didn't oh, even yeah. think that. Oh, oh wow. it, it does. It does. Jeez. If you don't know wow. that, don't go looking it up. You'll be disappointed. So, oh, well, I like, I've always liked this thing. I'm on HBO all the time. Exactly. So. That's how I watched it a ton. That's, <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly right. All right, so we're getting to another one from our childhood. And this should be fun to talk about. Going back to 1995, we're going to be discussing Tales from the Hood. Let's roll, bud. In this neighborhood is a house where souls never rest. You're invited to share their tales. I kill one of you. I kill you all. Tales of madness. Ah! Of revenge. Ah! Of horror. Powerhouse of a movie and one of the best horror films of the decade. Tales from the Hood. Chew or be chewed. I don't need to be hearing this, man. Rated R. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear this because I have at least a decent <laughs> story of seeing it, but I can't wait to hear about your first time viewing. <laughs> oh, man. That was. Whew. How many years has that been now? 28. 28 years? Yeah. Oh, man. I was probably like nine or so. Nine or ten. Because I, I, I actually did not get to see it at the movies. That was just one, you know, just <laughs> obviously didn't get to see it at the movies. But as we were talking before, you know, HBO just always had the movies. So that's actually how I saw it for the first time was on HBO. Okay. Um, I was actually at my grandparents' house because my my grandparents, they were always cool about watching horror movies, especially my grandmother. We always watched horror movies together. And I just remember that one coming on. And like I had, and we when I first saw it, it just kind of threw me because when it said Tales from the Hood, all I'd known at that point was Tales from the Crypt. Right. So I was like, huh, <laughs> said, Tales from the Hood? Like, you know, it's kind of like, what's that? You know? So, you know, so I'm thinking it's going to be something like that. Yeah, for some reason, I'm thinking the Crypt Keeper is going to pop up because it was just, you know, the title was so similar. And, you know, I was in for, you know, uh, you know, definitely a different kind of awakening <laughs> with this movie. It was just just watching it. It just kind of blew my mind, even as a kid, because it was so raw and so, you know, real. And, you know, even though I was like, you know, nine, 10 years old, you know, I would hear about some of these stories that you know some of these characters are going through like you know because this movie deals with a lot of you know racism you know yeah. on top of the horror and you know i'd heard those stories from like older relatives and you know, you know sadly had dealt with some of it myself you know being a kid you know me and my cousins were actually taunted by like 
some skinheads. Maybe they were they were about they were about nineteen, twenty, twenty one year olds, and we were on like eleven. You know, so it, you know, so it kind of hit. You know, so it there was fear definitely just because of what was shown in the film, but it was like another type of fear because it's like real life kind of ha- happened to us. Yeah. You know, me and you know some of my family before. So, yeah, I, I, fi- really I figured we were going to gonna get into some uh, personal stories with this one. Oh, yeah. And I think this one is going to be one I'm going to have to put on the spoiler warning because I think we're going to have to really discuss this one and mm-hmm. not because of it. Just because of his nature being an anthology, you can't really describe it without going into the stories. But right. before we get there, I just wanted to tell real quick. That I also caught this on HBO, but I did not have parents that liked horror they let me watch it for the most part but for some reason they thought this one was going to be too bad for me for whatever reason and i don't know how i managed to do this but i remember convincing my stepmom that this movie would basically be like a good message for me to not do drugs if she let me watch it (laughs) and and i got that to work because i ended up being allowed to watch it from that that's amazing. <laughs> so I don't even know how I finagled that, but I remember doing that as a, basically an anti-drug movie because I guess because I saw a preview and realized the whole thing is that the guys are going for drugs. Right. That's the only thing <laughs> I can go with. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird way to get to watch it, but yes. And then I caught it a lot and watched it a lot and owned it on the old snapback DVD case, mm-hmm. <laughs> snap case. And then of course now I own the screen factory collector's edition, but. Oh yeah. Had to get that. Cause I yeah. had a bootleg for years. I did not have a bootleg. I think the first time I owned it was on the snap case DVD. Cause that was, that was a legit release. Right. And I think every time I try to find that it was like out of print or I, or one I think I saw it was like super expensive. Mm, okay. I, yeah, and I end up like you know how you you know if they aren't you know out for a while you know right a movie that should be like you know less than twenty it's, it's registering is like oh eighty nine ninety nine yeah and I'm just like oh like can't justify buying this film. For no, like that yeah when they get like that it's hard. <laughs> it was one of my early DVD buys though because I was like I have to have my tales from the hood because right. I love this damn thing. So, all right, let's talk about it. Let's get into, and I guess, like I said, we're going to have to go into spoiler territory to talk about these because it's the wraparound and what four stories? Have that right? Wraparound it. Yeah, it's four. Yeah, four stories. All right. So, I guess tell us how it gets started. Let's let's start with the beginning. So, I guess that's the wraparound story. With them just. You know, you got your four, uh, not your four, but your three. Yes. Uh, kind of like you know, thugs. You know, who are basically looking for drugs. <laughs> uh, go to this mortuary where they meet the zaniest mortician I've ever seen in my life. As a kid <laughs> when I first saw that, <laughs> like, I think that was my first introduction to Clarence Williams the third. Like, I think that was the first thing I'd ever seen him in, and just watching him in this, it was just like, <laughs> he was just like. I mean, that smile he would give and he had that gap in his teeth. And yeah. there was just something as a kid, he scared me. Like, he just, I mean, I don't know, just his actions and just the right. way he, 
I mean, in his famous line, like, no, we got to get the shit. The shit. Oh, the shit. <laughs> I mean, that's like classic. Like, if I had ever gotten the chance to meet him, it like, I would, that would have been what I would have him sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Anything absolutely. else above all. Like, and, you know, these thugs, they, you know, as they're going through this, you know, old house, you know, with all these bodies in it, they're learning all these stories. And then, you know, one by one. And then that first from that first one with the with the cops. Um, each one had a had a different name. I think the first one, uh well, the wraparound is called Welcome to My Mortuary. Right. Which, and then Rogue Cop Revelation is the actual first story. Um is, yeah, I kind of just came up with names for myself because I never knew what they were called. Oh, re- <laughs> So I just called it, let me see, I think I called it Good Cop, Bad Cop. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I kept it simple because I was, I was young. I just came up with my own. Uh, the second one, oh, I had Monster in the title. Uh, some, oh, I can't remember now. Something Monster. And then I just called the third one the politician and the doll. And then I'll, and then the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the last one I always just call Crazy K because it always just stuck out to me that his name was Crazy, Crazy K for K. some reason. <laughs> oh man. Actually, when I was little, I used to think for even though it clearly says Crazy K, I always in my head thought of him as Special K. I think because of the cereal. Like that's what I'm saying, like <laughs> the cereal. <laughs> oh man. So many, oh yeah! Each story, man, I just yeah, it's so good, it's so good. And like that first one, I mean, one thing I always say about this film, it definitely kind of fits into what's happening today. That that you know? is that is the thing about it is that this film was relevant in '95, and it's almost more relevant today, and that is a scary yeah. thing, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it re- it really is, and so it, especially that first story, the you know rope yeah. cop revelation, you know, just and this one was actually an innocent man, well, innocent black man, just being beat, you know, by these cops because he was trying to get drugs, you know, a politician was trying to get drugs out of his community, and they were basically distributing drugs, you know, they were bad cops. Yep, they and were making money off of it. And then they basically killed him and, you know, left drugs in the car that they drove him off in into that embankment and basically ruined his name. So yep. what he was fighting for, people thought in the end how he died, that he was doing that. And it's like, you know, that's like one of the worst things, you know. And it was just, it was a tragic story, but then, you know, it has that huge revenge plot. And it takes a super dark turn. You know, that's like karma times a thousand and like the worst way possible. <laughs> right. Because like you said, there's a rookie cop there. And of course, he's the only black cop with him. The other three are white cops. And it drives him to a point. He can't. He quits the job. And mm-hmm. I think it's like, what, the one year anniversary? Yeah. And, one and year he's later. he's having constant nightmares, though, about this guy. And the one year anniversary, he summons him. And they he takes the cops back to the graveyard and then he makes his return. Exactly. 
and that freaked me out too as a kid because he the way they made him look i mean because you know he's supposed to be like you know kind of decomposed you can see like the bones under his skin and his eyes are like that you know crazy color and like his voice like had that rat oh it's like giving me chills now like (laughs) thinking about it it's just like so it's like that's i mean this film had it was like creepy in another way because you know this wasn't like you know because this isn't a slasher movie you know none of these stories are slasher stories like you know but they take real it's one thing i love about what people can do with horrors when they take like ideas that people don't necessarily look at as horror, like you know, like depression, anxiety, loss, poverty, um, grief, you know, or sadness, or you know, even mental health, and like, but yep. they can kind of flip it and turn it into this, you know, really dark horror element. And like to me, that's what this film did. It took like different aspects that, you know certain i guess you know certain ethnic groups deal with right and you know turned it into this you know horror the or you know horror stories and that's what i mean that that part of it obviously didn't really hit me till i got much older and you know being a writer you know because when you're watching as a kid you're just watching it and it's just like you know it's scary it's a scary movie but then as you get older and you you know, become more worldly and you see different things and, you know, learn different things, you know, certain movies like that start to hit really differently because you're right. You know, you're watching it with mature eyes now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, and it was different for me as a kid. Cause I was watching it obviously. And I'm from the perspective of a white guy. So <laughs> this stuff didn't affect me. And in my mind, this stuff didn't happen because I grew up in a very mixed neighborhood and we all just played together and it wasn't a big deal. Right. So I never really thought of it as real until I got older. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) I mean, it's a hard thing to accept. (laughs) That's the thing about innocence. When it's lost, it's lost because it's, you know, as they say, that's one of the things we're like a gift that we're like born with. I get to have and then when it's gone it's like it's gone you know and yeah. it's kind of a sad thing and then I mean that's really what I mean because that's what even me growing up like we grew up in like mixed neighborhoods like you know different mixed schools like you know we played with each other didn't matter you know but then there'd be just be random things where somebody would you know or a situation would happen and it's like it made you very much aware of who you are you know in those moments and it was just kind of like oh you know huh you know being younger it you know like i said it doesn't it hits you in a certain way but then as you get older it hits in a really deeper way you know so i think that's what especially that first story you know because you you would hear a lot of that stuff even as a kid hear a lot about that stuff on the news and in the papers or from um, family members or neighbors you know, so those those stories really still hit, you know, back then. All right, Anthony, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this second story goes? Uh, this one actually takes, you know, an old tale of abuse. The abusive stepfather to be in. Abuse, yeah, abusive stepfather. And which kind of hits home for me. Um, I wasn't abused. Okay. But I will, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like, clear real quick. <laughs> yeah, make that clear to everybody. No, it was not abuse. But I was, I was bullied growing up. 
a lot. And, you know, the young kid, Walter, you know, he's getting abused at home by a stepfather, but he's getting abused at school, school as well, yes. You know, by a bully. And, you know, he has this thing where a young girl told him in his class that, you know, if you draw the images of, you know, what's bothering you and then you destroy the image, you know, you can kind of defeat, you know, that thing, which was such a cool concept. And then you start realizing it's really happening with him. <laughs> like he like basically crumbles up the picture of the, the bully. And then like moments later, you're like hearing the boys scream and then like the ambulance is there and like it, all his bones are like his both arms and both legs are broken. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and the teacher just like, what happened? He just like just kind of just kind of collapsed. He's like, how do you break all four limbs just falling down? He <laughs> think his excuse is that he had weak bones or something. Yeah, yeah. Boy had must <laughs> boy must have had weak bones. Weak bones. <laughs> he didn't drink his milk, I guess. <laughs> it's like not quite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yes. Uh, so this one, yeah, definitely like so it. It hit, like I said, just hit in a different way. But I, I did have step parents. I had a step mom and a step father. Um, yeah, I did as well. I honestly, didn't care for both, but <laughs> I would say more so the step mom. Um, there was like some really, really tough times with that going on because that actually affected my relationship with my real father. Mm. Um, and you know, we our relationship never like really. I'll say got to the potential it should have gotten sort of because of that. Actually, I I blame both of them, actually, you know, stepmom and dad. But, and honestly, I put more, even though she was horrible, I actually put more blame on my dad because that was my dad, you right. know. So, and it just seemed like, you know, because she would lie on me. Um, she would just say all this stuff and just, you know, I'm like a seven year old kid, like, mm. make, you know, so, and, you know, she had a son that she brought to the marriage. He was, he was a few years older than I was, but, and the thing is like, so when my dad remarried, he remarried a, a white woman. So I had a, a white stepmother and a white stepbrother. So, you know, so, so you had that blend, you know, going on and me and him always got along, you know, cool, you know. But she, I don't know. She just always had a problem with me whenever I came to visit. So, of that aspect, I can kind of get on board and understand him with the bullying aspect. Right. You know, of just having like a step parent and then a bully, and then you know, there's those relationships. You know, not being like the best at all. So, but uh, David Allen Greer gives a great performance in this. Not used to him doing serious stuff, but he plays the abusive stepfather. And... Man, he like played the role like good because I, because yeah. this is like 95, so he's like literally just coming off in living color. And like, that's what I literally just, right. and actually, I think I've seen him in Jumanji too, like before I even saw, so you know, still, you know, some comedy stuff. And then, oh, I like, saw him in Blank Man. <laughs> this, I'll be in Blank Man, yeah. <laughs> And then just to go to this, it was just like a complete 180. And like, you know, just to see his range in that, I mean, in that whole like, you know, that buildup, because, you know, you're being told through Walter, like, oh, this monster's in his house. It's always saying he's like, the monster's back, the monster's right. in my house. He's the one that's hurting me. And, you know, so the adults are just kind of like, you know, monster, like, you know, what do you, you know? And then like, 
and you see his the way his character is. I mean, when the teacher's trying to talk to him about Walter, about Walter being afraid of some monster and just the look. I don't know if you really noticed the look on like David Allen Greer's face, like the character, like it's kind of haunting. It's like what he does with his eyes. And I remember that even as a kid. It's just something about the way he would just move and, you know, and like for some reason, because you know, I was thinking like he really was some kind of like a, like a monster that we just like, you know, that only Walter like saw, but you know, it wasn't until I was older, it was like he just saw him as a monster because yeah. of what he did. So in, my, in Walter's mind, that's what he was. He was this monster right. that Walter as a kid had created in his mind because of the abuse he was going through. But as a kid, I was thinking the guy really was a monster. Like he actually would turn into a monster. He would actually right, turn right. into a monster, but that's just the way that Walter saw him as a kid. That was the only way his young mind could process it. Yeah, he, yeah, he could process the fact that uh, another human would do this to him, right? Right, and you know, like I said, just being a kid, you just don't get that at that point. But as older, you're just like, and it, it's funny how things just hit you when you're older. You're like, oh, like that's what it was doing, or that's what it was saying, and you know, just hits you like all of a sudden, just like when you like turned it on for like the 20th time and then it just finally like <laughs> finally just gets you and you know and just those performances were just like so good you know because rusty Cundis, Cundis, yeah, Cundis, I, think, I think something like that yeah who was like basically you know the director and you know i think wrote some of the stories right or co-wrote yeah. some of the stories and that part of the teacher like he did so good like, yeah. in that role yeah i think it was what was his partner's name darren I want to say Darren Sharper, but I'm pretty sure that's a football player. I do not think it's actually Darren Sharper. I think it's Darren Scott, maybe. Darren Scott. Yeah, Scott I think right. it is. Yeah, I think it is Darren Scott. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they did. Yeah, I think they both had a hand in writing it. I think Rusty was like the actual director, if I'm not mistaken. You're probably right. I know, I know they pretty much worked together on the whole project, so. Right. And yeah, he did so good in this that role as the teacher. And then Paula J. Parker is, you know, uh, Walter's mom. And you know her coming off of you know Friday. You know she playing like the most ghetto girl I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Just you know on this you know comedic part. And then you know she's playing this you know not just you know Walter being abused, but she you know gets like severely beaten up. You know by I mean he like you know beats her with a belt. And like, you know, punches her, slaps her, and you know, you just see that blood just like gushing out of her mouth. And it was just like that's what I mean by this movie was just so raw and real. It's like they didn't cut away from that stuff. They just really was just like threw it like right in your face. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And I think they played it smart because like the first one, you have to deal with the racism, and that really happens. But the second mm -hmm. one is domestic horror, you know, inside yeah. the house of a family. Right. Mm -hmm. So they didn't just go down that same trope that they could have. They could have made every because we're about to get in the next story and that deals with racism again. And then the final story is not. So they, they evened it out. And I think that's good because right. that, that makes it watchable for people. Because if every story was about racism, I think white people would be like, I'm not watching this. That's all it is. Right. And it's not that. And I still think there are people who probably say that about this movie. And it's not because they haven't actually watched it. Yeah. And it's like different kinds, like so the right, so in the first one it was about you know police brutality, right? You know, in this one, and then then the uh, the third story is more about old school racism. Yep. 
you know, back, back in slavery times, even though it's modern and, you know, story-wise, it's modern day, you know. So it's like different types. So it's like kind of like the now and then like what came before. And it, they both kind of like dealt with karma in a sense. Yeah. Oh, so. well, I mean, in a way, this is like an extended long version of Tales from the Crypt where everybody in the end gets theirs. I mean, that's yeah. that's the premise behind Tales from the Crypt every episode as well. <laughs> Someone's oh, yeah. gonna, they're going to get theirs in the end. And this kind of works out that way. Oh, I loved it when David Allen Greer got his. That was I mean, that he was about to hit her with that pan and then he just Walter just takes that picture and you just hear that that slice when he just like bends the arm back and he just yeah <laughs> oh man like every part of his body was just getting like just wrecked and like just takes the picture and just like spins it and like crushes it and you just see his yeah. whole body just spinning and it's just like oh yeah and he's just a pile of clothes <laughs> pile of, and he was still anyway, he still had a head for, he did still have a head right. until they burned him right but it, he was still like talking all that craziness talking when he said this shit ain't over yet shit. <laughs> it's like bro you're like a pile of clothes like completely melted down and you're still like, <laughs> like talking all that like it was crazy but yeah i mean that that was the only way you can get rid of them. i always say like like i always think that's just a cool way because i always say like when you're dealing with something well even though his character wasn't technically like supernatural but always like when i think about supernatural characters i always say the things that get them because you know people always try to shoot them and they can fight through bullets or they stab them and it you know they might slow them down but they still coming but i always say what you what will never fail is a natural element a natural element will always wipe out whether they're real or they're supernatural you know especially fire right you know <laughs> so i always think that was like you know kind of like a cool way to like kind of like finish his character off well you gotta wonder how they how did they explain that because he's just kind of like yeah we'll take care of it and i'm like i don't know he's coming home in like a suit and tie so this guy obviously has some kind of job right <laughs> i guess maybe he just up and left the family and, <laughs> and you don't know where he went i guess that's how like, you explain it away <laughs> like yeah we haven't heard from him in a while <laughs> he came home had one of his anger fits and left us <laughs> <laughs> wild all right and that that brings us to the next story the one i call politician of the doll what's the actual name <laughs> you've been having actual, all the names <laughs> actual name name is kkk comeuppance oh jeez. oh wow <laughs> i mean it fits don't get me wrong it works but oh what a oh, name yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah i mean we have like this guy who was literally a former clan member who goes who's running for like, I think, is he running for like mayor, I believe it is? I, th I think so. I think that's what it is. Yeah, I think it's mayor. And he like decides to like reside in like this old historic house that, you know, where slaves were like owned and like some were like, where some had died and like, you know, so <laughs> people who like lived in that community were like yeah. very upset, which, you know, understandably so. Right. It's an old plantation house. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, I mean, stuff like that just has, you know, so much, you know, dark history. And I mean, you see it and it literally comes to life in, in this in this story. And this one, I always say this story, like technically the, the last one is my favorite. But to me, this one is the most haunting is the KKK come up. And it's like 
like from everything just the the imagery of the dolls and like you know how the the souls of the slaves are in these dolls and they're coming back to life and the the score itself it's very i call it like i call it like southern haunt like in a sense like if you listen to that opening it's just like piano keys that and oh, it 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 gives you chills because I like you know I I've told you before how I collect scores and yep it wasn't until yep. I like bought them and like really could isolate them within my you know headphones and just really could hear them it's like that score for that one is very haunting like it's like probably my favorite score of the whole movie is that one so yeah there's this painting on the wall and there's this. I guess there's this lore about the the plantation house or whatever, but he starts to notice that the pictures, well, it starts with one, mm-hmm. the main little, the main little guy sitting on the grandmother's, I guess grandmother, I don't really know how these work because they're her dolls, but sitting on the lap disappears and it attacks him. Well, mm-hmm. actually it attacks his guy because it's, it's one of those things like it's mind boggling, but you know, it exists. Like it's this white racist politician, but his, I don't know his. I, in my mind, I call him a hype man. I don't know what to call this guy. This, <laughs> just trying to prepare him how to do this campaign. I guess a campaign right. leader. I guess is what it is. But he is a black man. But this guy openly talks racist, and the guy just accepts it. And you're like, and I get it. It's his job, but I don't know. You gotta. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard. It's hard to talk about because there's there's a line there, but he doesn't want to lose a job. And and I I positive this stuff still happening today, because really yeah. watch, watching this, I mean, th- there's no way you can't think of, hey, you know, president we had not that long ago. You just you mm-hmm. can't you can't not make that correlation when yeah. you watch this. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Especially now, that's what I mean. Like a lot of these stories fit into like, you know, what's going on now, right? Which is like so crazy. And I don't know that it's that it's just happening that much more now versus we just have that much more access to know about it now and that it was always happening. Know what I mean? I think it honestly, I think it's just more access because it's it's never stopped. Right. It's just more like said, we just have more. I mean, there's cell phones now. There's, exactly. There's, there's people just, catching this in ways they couldn't get it before. Right. And it was and all so about much, your work. So many more communities now for you know things, and everything's very much open, and you know everybody has the story, and I think that's the big because you know back in the day, you know, people didn't have much of a voice, or if they did have a voice, they'd be you know punished for it, or you know something could happen to them. So you know they just kind of kept to their own, kept to themselves, you know, for a short time, you know, that was up until like, you know, civil rights started, you know, and then it became very much vocalized. And I mean, you can even go back to the whole, you know, Rodney King thing, you know, that was one of the first times it was ever caught. And, you know, this was on like a, you know, that was an old school, like, you know, handheld, you know, camcorder. Right. You know, and it was something that you saw like like, yeah, he was literally getting brutalized by four cops. You know, there was no questions about it. he was unarmed and was just being brutalized, but they weren't punished, you know. So, oh, yeah, that's definitely where that first story came from. I mean, you, you know, knew that was right. directly inspired by the Rodney King incident. Right. Because by this point in time, it had only been a few years. Exactly. You know, so it was very relevant so, with that. Right. one. Yeah. 
So, yeah, a lot of that stuff. I mean, there's what they say, uh, life imitating art or, you know, art imitating life and vice versa. Right. That's real. Like, that's... <laughs> I mean, this story, like that's said, this one, like, like it hits the hardest, you know. Like I said, a lot of this, a lot of these stories have so much like a re revenge connotation to them, you know. The revenge of, you know, the, you know, politician in the beginning had to come back, and then Walter getting revenge on his stepfather, you know, and then the this third story, you know, old slaves getting revenge, yeah, you know, it's just. So it's it's very dark, very dark, you know. Like I said, because they're just using like real elements, you know. Yeah. And yep. to me, that it's scarier, you know. I think that's what makes this film scarier is because of those elements. Right. Yep. Because when you look at the big picture, this this one, this particular story. I can't say I'm too afraid that these little dolls are going to come off a painting in the wall and come attack me, you know, <laughs> like in that, in, in the literal sense, that's not, a, that's not a thing that I'm worried that's going to happen, <laughs> but it, right. It's what it's representing. Right. Although I got to say, this one was always the most, and I figure at the end, I was just going to throw in there that we probably put these in a ranking of how we think of them as our favorites or whatever. This one was always the one that entertained me the most. I think because I liked the little dolls that were doing the, mm -hmm. the killing, though. And it was bloody. Oh, yeah. When they... Yeah, those... And like I said, there was a lot of crazy imagery in this one, especially when, like I said, the that early scene when his, you know, his hype man, you know, was trying to explain to him what to say, and then he, you know, ends up slipping back down the stairs. And, you right. know, you, later when you realize it's kind of like the, the, the entity of the house itself, and you know, then like when he goes back to watch the video when it happens and he doesn't notice that that doll is just sitting there that whole time. Right. And then he goes back and it's like, that's like, oh, that moment is just like, oof. Like, you know, it's one of those things that just makes your skin crawl like, holy crap. Because then, you know, that's when he starts to actually freak out. Um, uh, Duke Met Medgar, that's what it was, Duke Medgar, the guy, oh, uh, yep. Yep. the character. Who what a name. Actually, you know, who was the dentist as well. <laughs> it was years before I put that together, too. Oh, that, I, that was him? I knew Corbin Burnson, but I never put together that that was the guy who played the dentist because of that blonde hair he's got in this. Oh, yeah, they put that wig on him. <laughs> it was years before. I. It was like one of those things you were talking about, like, after so many viewings, all of a sudden, one day it just comes together and you're like, wait a minute. Because I, I grew up watching The Dentist, and I never, ever put yep. those two together that they were the same person. <laughs> and I actually got to meet him in person at a con. And, of course, the first thing I ask him about is Tales from the Hood. Okay. You know, before I even talk about The Dentist, I'm like, man, how was it like? I, was, that's a, I said, how's it like working on Tales? And this is probably, like, my second con I, like, had <laughs> even gone to. And, like, I was like, how was it, like, working on it? He said it. He said that the part was, you know, it, you know, it was good in the sense of like, you know, this was something new that he was doing. And, you know, with the subject matter, because he said every pretty much everybody on the set, like, you know, with the grips and everybody was pretty much black on that set. And he said he felt so uncomfortable at times because his character was yeah. just like this hardcore racist. And he had to <laughs> say like stuff that he like, you know, wouldn't say like in real life. Right. And he's like, he would just like, he said he would cringe so much that he just had to say it. And then, you know, 
they were reassurance like we wrote this like you know we want you to be that guy like yeah. you know you have to represent that guy you know and I, yeah. said, that's, and I just like I didn't think about it like that from that aspect of him having to you know to do that right I mean it's better than him coming on set and it just kind of rolls out and you're like oh this guy's used to this <laughs> I mean that would be really bad <laughs> yeah. oh that that would be horrible oh man yeah, he, yeah, and then, like, just meeting him in real life, he's, like, this really cool, laid-back guy. I mean, he was wearing, like, a Bob Marley shirt, and <laughs> I was like, oh, man, like, those guys, like, cool as hell, like, you know, and, you know, it was just, yeah, it was just a really cool experience just to get, like, to just be able to talk to him about it, Yeah, you know. Didn't he go on to, like, do Law and Order for, like, 10 years or something? Didn't he do that? Didn't he? I feel like he Wait, was. was it Law and Order? Or it might have been another, that other, uh, Something like, like that? What's it called? Like, like family law or martial law or it was something like that. Something law. Now I don't think it was law and order, but it was something law. Oh, okay, it wasn't law. And, I thought he went on to do law and order. Yeah. I could be wrong. I thought I can't think of it. Yeah, something law. But one of those yeah old school lawyer shows. Good lord, he's done so much since that's been done. I can't even find oh, it. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, I mean, he comes from like. Uh, like acting family like his his mom was like she was like one of the major players and like young and the restless but i'm not even at the old stuff i'm at the <laughs> the the newer stuff and he's still done so much i'm just now at 2012 and i'm working from <laughs> yeah he has 255 credits wow yeah man it wasn't even acting since he was a kid I, even... <laughs> I mean, a lot of them are now. Like, he's... Man, I was wrong, because I'm not seeing this at all. There it is. No, that's one episode. That wouldn't be it. He was on Law & Order, but it was one episode, so that's not going to be it. That's not what I'm thinking of. I wouldn't right. remember that. Right. Because <laughs> I didn't even watch watch it. L.A. Law. So that you were at okay, L.A. Law. Law. Okay. That, okay. I, was like, I knew it was something. Yeah, I knew it was something. Law. I just couldn't remember. Yeah, I don't know why I was thinking martial law, but it, I knew it was something, something like that. Yeah, martial law is like that old '80s action flick with um, oh my god, Cynthia Rothrock. Jeez. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah, that one. I was like, I know it, and then it escaped by the mind. Yeah, that's one Cynthia Rothrock. All right, I gotta admit, you said this is your favorite. This was always my mm. least favorite as a kid, and that's this last story. So I, really, I want you to talk about and talk about why it's your favorite because I'm I'm curious about this one with you. Well, this one, which is hardcore convert, okay, which is opposed to crazy K, crazy K, <laughs> <laughs> which is like the main character, crazy K. I, what really got me? Well, first of all, is because it you know it stars Rosalind Cash, who I've always loved Rosalind Cash. Like she's been in a lot of like 70s you know horror and she was you know acting with Vincent Price and horror and I just always loved her she was just always such a cool actress to me because she actually like died I think a year after filming this unfortunately mm. she had like cancer so you knew still... her before this like yeah and other stuff yeah oh, I've seen okay. her in like other stuff and I just always liked her and like her character like I said I, I didn't realize this until I got older but her just the whole thing of what they were trying to do to him and like the message it was sending 
especially that scene where Crazy K's like, you know, after he's been shot and it's been like five years later and he's in prison and um, he's supposed to go, you know, to this like real like rehabilitation uh, place. And then he gets put in to this like guy who's like a like a hardcore supremacist. Right. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, he tells him like, you know, like basically you could tell him that he's a killer and like, you know, yeah, just like him and all this and and the guy's like calling him these names and stuff, but he's like getting all offended. But he said, but yeah, he said, but all the people you killed, he said, what color were they? And then he just kind of pauses and he just like, he's killed only black people. Yeah. And this one, a black yeah. man. Right. On that, and you know, and that, that, that's like beating. It's like, you know, it's like, wow. Like, you know, that's that really, that hits, you know, it, de like, it definitely hits differently now for me than it did as a kid. Cause I didn't even think about that as a kid but yeah i mean that's what this one's about it's about basically i mean it's about black on black crime mm -hmm. which is this whole other thing right and then it goes like even deeper when they actually get into that place and he's seeing all those images and you know they strap him to that table that scene was like so uncomfortable for me just to like watch it because he's just spinning yeah and that's true. he's seeing all those images like you know so all the images and color that are like actually moving you know that stuff from the movie but all those black and white pictures that are shown are actually real like you know photos of you know people that have that were actually killed were murdered like hung like hanging from trees or stabbed or whatever it was like you know back in like the 40s and 50s that you know people had all these pictures of and like I, re I actually realized that as a kid, and just like I would just watch it, I'm like, no, those are real people, like you know that they're showing in these, you know, these situations, and it that like really freaked me out because you know when you're a kid, you're supposed to you know TV's fake, you know, or you know movies are fake, you know it's not real, but this was real, and you know, and you see his reaction, you know, he's a killer of black men as a black man, but then he's seeing images of when all his people were killed from, like, you know, having no choices, you know, back in the day, and, like, it was, like, this crazy contrast of just everything that he was just seeing, and it was just, it was wild, and then just Rosalind Cash's character, when she delivered, it's my favorite line of the whole movie while he's spinning, and she's just like, you know, uh, she said, you know, what's wrong, Jerome? You know, she said, you don't like seeing black people get killed. And, you know, she said, but isn't that what you've been doing your whole life? Right. And then she's just Powerful like, you know, she says, <laughs> right, right. And then that line right afterwards, she's just like, you know, she's like quoting from, you know, from the Bible. She's like, you know, Cain, you know, was the world's first murderer. He slayed his brother. And then she's like, how many brothers have you slayed? And it's like, I love that line. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know, something about it. Just all like, oh, that line was just like perfect. So it was just so many aspects to this this particular story, and especially at the you know the end when he's in that kind of like quiet room and he's seeing all his victims basically yeah. just talking to him, and you know you see that little girl. That one, that one, yeah, that one, that one to get to you. Yeah. And she, and she, what did I do? Right. He's like, I was just playing in my room and the bullet from your gun came through the wall. And he was just like, and you can see his face just kind of like just drop. Like he's just trying to defend it. Wrong place, wrong, wrong, wrong time. time. And I'm like, right. she's in her room playing. That's not the wrong place. There's no, right. there's no <laughs> way to defend being in your room is the wrong place. But right. Oh, uh, yeah.
and then realizing who she actually was, you know. So in that with that story, what you don't realize is that the entire time, you know, because you're thinking he survived his shooting and everybody else was, you know, killed and he was saved, but really you don't realize that he is actually going to die the entire time. Yep. The entire time he's going to die, but she's basically, to me, she's an angel saying, she's I'm giving you a chance. Because, right. you know, I, I learned that, you know, growing up in church is that if you repent, you can be forgiven once you repent. And that's what she was basically, she said, I'm giving you a chance to just admit what you've done and you can be saved. But he was just so consumed with anger and hate that he just couldn't see it. And, you know, he just, you know, saying those lines, like, you know, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't yeah, give a fuck. Yeah. You could see her at the end just reaching like, no, like, Jerome, like, no, because she knew she was losing him because she knew if he didn't where he was going to go. Right. And I was like, once you, I really realized what that story was, I was like, like, wow. Like that, like, so that's why it became my favorite. It, it no became God. my favorite more as I got older. Like I liked it. Like I said, I liked it as a kid, but it's like the older I got, the more it topped all the other stories for me just oh. because of that particular message. And it was because it was just so deep. All right. So the interesting thing about this last story is that it leads us right back into the wraparound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is like nothing that I expected at all. Like this probably had one of the biggest surprise endings of like <laughs> the 90s. <laughs> that, that's fair because I, I yeah i definitely did not see this coming when the story was happening at all <laughs> Oof, i mean it i mean just them and i mean just the, everything that you find out that you know these you know three guys were the ones that you know killed crazy k and they just assumed uh you know the mortician was gonna like snitch on them and so basically they all <laughs> beat him a little bit and basically <laughs> said, you know, we, we tired of these stories, where's the shit? <laughs> and that was him going more into his famous line, like, uh, the shit? <laughs> We're gonna get the shit. And so, I mean, and then he takes them down <laughs> and they definitely do not find the shit <laughs> at all. Oh, no. No, definitely not. He, uh, well, his clothes start to rip off and he turns into their version of Satan. Oh, and he looked like insane. I mean, that was like the scariest version of Satan I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's it's pretty it's pretty scary. He also in this point, the shit. I love that line, but he also delivers one of my other favorite lines. It's something I normally say when I'm walking into work. Welcome to hell, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, when when he does it, like his tongue, like that. Like real thin tongue, like goes through his gap. He's like, motherfuckers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like it goes through his gap. Oh, and he's like rips his shirt. And, oh, and then he just transforms and you just hear them screaming. And then that one that was acting like the toughest, like was screaming. Like, I mean, screaming. Yeah. It was yeah. like, oh, and then you just see him just like burning there. I mean, and they're just like, you know, basically burning forever. Yep. It's Turns out like, they've been in hell. They've gone to hell themselves. And they've oh, and it's crazy. Like they just had their that whole time they were dead. Mike had no idea. Yeah, like, that would that would suck. I don't know. That would that would <laughs> definitely suck. That'd be a sucky ending. But yeah, that's tells from the hood. 
man. It, it's, and part it's, of it I just didn't get all the way because I was like, how? I was wondering, like, how did they know that they weren't dead? You know, and the fact that because I felt like he would have like taken them like right away, but it's like he he wanted to play with them. <laughs> he wanted to play with. Yeah, he wanted like, to toy wanted with them. Yeah, take them through this like journey. Basically, it almost basically showed them like. Each story, like how it, well, basically how it led other people to be where they were, right? And just basically showed them like what their life was and like why they ended up there. So it's basically almost like a lesson for them, <laughs> randomly, which is like wild. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where like it almost makes you wonder. He's telling them these stories. If they had been able to do like Crazy K at the end, is trying to get him to repent so that he doesn't end up where he is. Had they been able to get that message from one of the stories, would they had a different outcome? But on the other hand, you're already down there with Satan, so I don't think they ever had a chance <laughs> at a different outcome. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, and that's what they said. That's what he said. He said after you kill Crazy K, some of his boys killed you, and he was like, "I guess you didn't make it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's do the fun thing, and let's let's rank these. Real quick, and then we'll get into some other stuff. Real quick, I want to ask you about what would you put? Hmm, what would you put as your bottom spot? The bottom story. Um, I man, it's kind of hard because they're all this so good. Like, I guess oh, it's not like we say... don't like any. I mean, look, this right? Is, yeah, this is, this is a five star movie for me. I write this. Right. I love this beginning to end, wrap around everything. I this was is... probably the probably the first story. Wow, wow! I, I wasn't expecting that one. Not... <laughs> I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> like, yeah, for me, it's it's this last story. But I, I, just like I said, these all all these stories are strong. You definitely right. were able to look at it, and actually, you brought me to look at it a little bit differently than I had before. But I still. Just out of my preference, this is, I don't know. I don't connect with the character of Jerome that much. Well, not that I'm supposed to, right. but <laughs> I don't want to connect with any of these characters, really, especially, well, <laughs> to an extent. I guess I shouldn't say not at all, but yeah. All right. So then where do you go? Probably the second story, boys get bruised. Or boys do get bruised. Yep. I think um, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's where I'm at. Then third would definitely be KKK comeuppance. Because that one, like, as a kid, that one was probably, like, like I said, that one just, even still, just, like, the, the score and just the, the actual story for that one was just really just, just a haunting. It's all around. To me, it's, like, the scariest story of, like, all the stories put together. Okay. I think this is where I put... What I called good cop, bad cop. What'd you say it was actually called? Bad. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it just left my brain. I know I know what, I was like, uh, I know you I know you said it earlier in the episodes, but I can't remember it right now. That yeah. was a road cop revelation. Road cop revelation. Okay. For some reason, see, because you had said for some reason I, I was thinking like bad cops. And I was like, that's no. That's like, no, that's that's not, that's, <laughs> that's not it. That's what he said. I was just like, no, that's not it. <laughs> 
And then it's like, that's all of my brain was like popping up with bad cops. So I'm just like, no. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is bad cops. But no, that's not what the story is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Rogue cop revelation. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then, of course, my number one is a uh, hardcore convert. Just Mine because is... of the message. Mine is the politician and the doll, and I think I'm sticking with mine. I don't even like saying the actual name of it. Right. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I mean, that's what it basically is. He and, no, it is. It. I like I said, it, it's fitting. It fits the story perfectly. But oh, all right. So this is what I want to ask you: Have you seen these sequels that they've done? Uh I know they did two more i know they came right. out with the third one fairly recently but i've only seen the second one and i only saw it one time and i was actually in california when i saw the second one when we were at our airbnb we were kind of getting ready and we just put something on like while we we're you know while the people at netflix <laughs> so, and i only okay. like one story out of that whole bunch yeah it's definitely a drop down and I'm with you. I only saw the second one and I've only seen it once and I'd be lying if I I can't even remember the stories at this point. So I don't have, I mean, I think who was it? Keith David came in to be the, the keeper guy, your host, basically. I think so. That, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I think Keith David's that one. And I think they got Tony Todd for the third one. I feel like I might have remembered that. Like I said, I don't think I saw the third, but I feel like I remembered something about him being part of it. Yeah, that's what I'm... Yeah, like I haven't seen the third one either, so I'm going yeah. off what I think I remember. Yeah, I don't know. Some of those stories in the second one, it was just, they were just like like outlandish. It it didn't it didn't have that same feel as like the first one. It was, it's, I was like, when I was watching, I was like, what? Like, you know, because I was really expecting especially after all that time had passed and like just the different things that have happened in the world, like, you know, like what they could have like touched upon. And then like when I actually saw it, it just, it, it really just threw me and I was just like, and then what really got me is that it was like some of the same writers and I think the same director. And like, so I was kind of like, wow. Yeah. I think, I think Rusty Cundiff and Darren Scott might both be back on that one. Like the, the right. court, the court team is back and it's just, it doesn't hit nowhere near as hard as that original does. It doesn't. And it, yeah, not because I think I initially thought that somebody else had like taken it and like they had come up with like a sequel. And I was thinking like, oh, cause I remember saying like, oh, this isn't the same guys. Like, you know, this is somebody else, you know, just trying to make a sequel or whatever. And I found out it was them. And I was like, oh, and I was like, oh man. It's like I don't even I legit I don't even remember what any of the stories were called. The only one I was I I mean, one that like really stuck out that was like really like over the top was when like the like a giant like a doll came up came to life, but it was like a giant doll, but it was like a I don't know it was like some weird doll like a, I don't know it was just like I, I still just think about it, like what like. <laughs> I was like scratching my head. Just yeah. like, like, what is this? Like, I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. You know? And your memory is working better than mine. Cause I can't even remember that right now. Like I literally yeah. don't remember any of the stories as I think about it. And because of that, I didn't want to watch the third one. Cause I was like, Oh, I, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want this to be tarnished more with this name. I know. That's, don't, yeah. 
Don't use the Tales from the Hood name. It's it's too damn good. <laughs> yeah. And the one I, I actually did like out of that at part two was the last story. Like I don't remember how many stories they had. I don't know if they had three or four, but the last story was about uh Emmett Till. Mm. If you remember, if you kind of remember that, because that's the one that like kind of grabbed me. So that took this approach of like, I think if it was like if Emmett Till hadn't been murdered. And like how it kind of changed history, like in the present. Right. Wow. That makes me wonder if by that point I just zoned out of that movie because I don't that doesn't even click. And that should because that that sounds that sounds decent. Yeah, that one was like to me, that was like the only decent story. Yeah. And I thought that was really because it, it was about the a, a guy from what I'm trying like six. So this has been like almost almost five years since I saw it. So so this guy, he was either married or engaged to, was a black guy and he was like engaged or married to a white woman. And they went to, I think, visit her parents' house. And like, they kind of like lived in the South. And I'm not sure how like the history kind of changed, but, or if he had read something or did something and something and like, Emmett Till ended up surviving and like now like the parents were turning against him and his fiance was like turning against him and mm. you know he was like super lost like what do you like what's wrong with you guys like he said we're getting married She's like I would never marry a black man and it was just going like you know just because history had been changed right so things mm. hadn't gone the way that they you know so it was just like it was really interesting just to see that like this how you know, kind of like that whole thing with like the butterfly effect. You know, if you, right. step, you know, step on a butterfly in the past and like the future is completely changed. So that one was really, that was actually a really cool story. I did like that one, but that was the only one out of that entire anthology that I liked. Hmm. So uh, I don't know if you gave these any thought or not, because I really don't know how to even approach the questions with that I normally like to cover with an anthology. But as you know, I have the sequel one in there. Did you did you come up with something as a sequel? Because I don't even know how to do it. That's why I just figured we talk about the sequels instead. <laughs> and like, oh, like what, I, like what I would like my take on it would be. Right. Yeah, that's why I was wondering. I didn't know because uh, an anthology is not something that you can really do that to. That's the whole point of an anthology. <laughs> right. Yeah. With yeah, just like you know. I mean, all of them, like, you know, typically are supposed to have, like, a, you know, some type of message, or at least with this particular, you know, franchise or, you know, these series. So, and I never saw, like I said, never saw the third one. So I don't even know what they even touched upon, you know, on that. I mean, it actually could be better than the second one. You know, honestly, I actually probably will, since we're talking about it, we'll actually go and watch it somehow. I don't know if, what platform it's on, but might find it just so I could say that I did watch it and see if it you know maybe had some better stories than part two but honestly I just felt like as long like for me if I was doing it like you know keeping those kind of like same things of you know not using like typical things you would find in like a slasher type of movie but you know like like I said using things like you know anxiety and depression and loss and grief and you know mental health and um, or like you know, you know, racism, which they you know kind of touched on that in some of the the newer ones, you know, just using those elements, like I said, that people don't typically think of when they think about a horror movie, 
I said, as long as, you know, you can keep that as like a good solid foundation, I think for me, that's what I would have done. Okay. But, you know, made it, you know, would have kept it obviously in, you know, the modern day because like actually like what's going on now, you know, you can take it like you can make your own like uh, thing because COVID, you know, happened or yeah. um, the uh, George Floyd thing you know, happen. That could be like our modern day, like, you know, kind of Emmett Till type of thing. Yep. You know, uh, and just how people are like, you know, taking stance, taking more of a stance now, like how we have uh, more riots going on now. Like, you know, it's like history is like repeating itself, you know, and like now in this day and age, and, you know, you could use those elements for like a new anthology, uh, or at least I think so. Yeah, no. Yeah. I guess let me ask you this: is, is there someone that you think would make the good that horror host, that perfect host to lead all these stories? Is there someone out there? You know, actually, just because I saw her in like American Horror Story, and just I know she could, she has that power. Like I feel like Angela Bassett would be a cool, you know, kind of switch it up and have you know have it be you know a woman this time instead yeah. of you know like a man. Because she can make her, like I said, she's like, you know, has so much range and is very dynamic. But she also has that thing where she can, you know, draw fear. You know, yep. like I said, I saw it in like American Horror Story with her. And like, I feel like she could pull it off. Nope, I agree. As soon as you said American Horror Story, I figured you were going to Angela Bassett. <laughs> yeah, no, she was good in those and her the season she was in, the ones I saw. So, yeah. All right. I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give that final pitch on why someone should watch Tales from the Hood if they haven't seen it before. Uh, well, Tales from the Hood, it's it's magic. It's pure magic. Like I said before, it's raw. It's real. It's in your face. It's like unapologetic. And, you know, still being terrifying at the same time. So it's like if you want to see a different type of movie, you know, to kind of break out of that, you know, norm that you normally follow when you're, you know, watching your horror movies, you know, Tales from the Hood is one of the ones like, you know, in this, I would say, you know, in the last, you know, what's been almost 30 years that still, you know, resonates today, still, you know, hits on things that, you know, you've probably seen in your own life that you don't necessarily want to talk about or, you know, you know, just because it's too hard, but, you yep. know, but being in this horror fashion, you know, I feel like it's a must. I feel like you need to watch it um, just because just to see another spectrum. Because I thought, like I said, I think it's really important. Like I said, each one has a message and I think each message yep. is felt like very strongly. And I feel like no matter really, honestly, no matter what race you are, no matter where you come from, I think in some ways, the characters in these stories in some way have like entered your life in some way. Those different like character types in this movie, like it's touched you in some way, whether, you know, it was in passing or you were in school, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. you know? So that's why I feel like it's, it's important for not just horror fans, but anybody. Like I, anybody I, I agree. I agree. To watch this film. Like it's one of those films that, you know, should be cataloged. You know, as they, you know, put certain movies and say, you know, mark it down as importance, you know, uh, in cinematic history. It's one of those ones that I feel like should be in that same 
that same uh, realm. Yeah, no, well said. I agree with all that. I will say, you talked about it earlier, but I say, if nothing else, just watch it for the Clarence Williams performance. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean. <laughs> that alone, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right, Anthony, I think that's going to wrap this one up. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, whether it's online, find your books, direct them to the documentary again, whatever you want to do. Uh, yeah, you can always find me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now you can find me on TikTok. Finally joined <laughs> the, the TikTok family. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you can also find uh, on any of my platforms, you can always find uh, the links to my books, which will, which will take you to my uh, Amazon page, which will be in my bio. Um, and then Fred Heads, you can, as I said, you can find it uh, on Amazon as in dvd format physical media if you have prime video and uh if you have tubi uh those are your ways you can watch and check out for it hits all right and as always follow the show at ynf movie pod on twitter that's where i'm most active so that's what i always link people to if you want you can just go to linktr.e slash ynf movie pod and you can have access to the YouTube channel, my letterbox, where you can see what I'm watching when I'm not being covered on the show. And I will be back next week, and it'll probably be with one of the other people from Fred Heads. I don't know what order I'm going to put these out in yet, but we'll talk about Fred Heads a little more and one of their favorite movies. So until then, you guys take care, and I will talk to you next time. <laughs>